listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. So this morning we are going to be uh, in Luke chapter 5. Um, I would invite you to uh, open your Bibles with me and join me there and follow along. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's pew Bibles um, in some of the seats in front of you. Feel free to, to use one of those. Um, if you'd like, it'd be page 808. I'll save you a step um, there. And if, for, if you don't have a Bible, um, you can take that home with you. Um, we'd love nothing more than to be able to gift that to you, um, to give you a copy of the Word of God. So as we think through... Uh, Luke 5, um, as you're turning there, we'll, we'll briefly kind of reflect back on last week um, when we looked at the authority and the power of Jesus and how he displayed that authority uh, publicly in the synagogue in Capernaum um, when he cast out uh, the demon. Uh, then he moved from there, he went to Peter's house and he, um, did, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. There were other healings. He cast out more demons. And so that was a more a private display of his power and authority. So he had a public display and a private display. Um, and then Jesus, the, the following day after the Sabbath, um, he got up early and he went. He started moving away from Capernaum. If you remember, the people of Capernaum um, hunted him down and were trying to convince him to, to stay, were pleading with him to stay. And he gave them his, his mission statement, basically. In verse 43, he says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose, that he had a divine calling from his father to preach the good news, to preach the kingdom of God to, to other people, not just to stay in Capernaum. And so this morning in Luke 5, we're going to find Jesus now um, along uh, the Sea of Galilee, and he's, he's teaching and he's doing ministry. Um, this account is one of these accounts that you'll also find in the book of Matthew, in the book of Mark. So Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. And if you were to look at those accounts of this, you'd notice that Matthew and Mark, they're really, really similar. Um, a lot of times the wording is almost identical. Uh, but then when we read Luke, Luke's is noticeably different than Matthew and, and Mark's. And what Luke does is he affirms the accounts of Matthew and Mark. It's not a different account. It's not a new account. But he supplements it with, with different details. He talks about this great catch of fish that we'll, we'll see this morning. There's a dialogue between Jesus and Peter. So what, Mark, what Luke does is he gives a different perspective. He adds a different dimension uh, to this event. And so we're seeing it a little bit differently. And from Luke's, Luke's perspective, it's the same account. And so you'll notice, uh, maybe you haven't, but I'll draw your attention to it. In your worship guides... Um, in that read-ahead section, what I've decided to do is, you'll notice that you'll see the passage for next week, so it's Luke 5, 12 to 26, but I have also included in there the corresponding passages to Matthew and to Mark as well. So you can re like read all of those, um, so you'll have a fuller picture of, of what's going on uh, with the healing of the leper and the healing of the paralytic, which we'll talk about um, next week. 
So anyway, let me get to our passage this morning, right? So Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and this is Jesus calling the first disciples. So I'd ask you to please stand with me for the reading of God's words. Um, I will read this passage for us, I will pray for us, and then we will have fun this morning in God's words. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boats. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Peter saw it, he he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord's. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you've given us now to spend time in your words. Lord, we are thankful for your words. Your word is truth. Your word is powerful. Your word accomplishes exactly what you set it out to do. And so we take great comfort in that. And so I pray for us now that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts to be moved. Lord, that you would give us exactly what we need this morning. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So as we've become accustomed to to understanding about Luke, Luke always, right, what's he do the first few verses, right? He kind of sets the setting, he sets the table um, for the account that he's going to share with us, and he does the exact same thing here in Luke chapter 5. Those first three verses is the setting um, for this account of Jesus calling the disciples. This is the first time, by the way, um, that Luke records Jesus not teaching in the synagogue, not teaching in a more public setting, although you can argue that being out around Galilee is is a public setting. Um, Although Luke says it's Gennesaret, that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee. And so we see Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee, and there's this crowd of people that that are pressing up on him. So what that tells us is that the 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 popularity of Jesus, he's beginning to draw larger and larger crowds. As the word is getting out about him and about his ministry, about his teaching, 
and undoubtedly about the miracles that he's been performing with casting out demons and healing, it's drawing a crowds. And the people were physically, when it says that they were pressing, they were physically pushing their way toward Jesus. They were physically leaning in to hear Jesus teach the Word of God. Remember, Jesus taught with an authority that was different than what they were used to. It was almost like He was speaking from God because He was speaking from God. There was a confidence in His teaching. There was a simplicity, but yet a directness in how He was teaching. And all this was a draw to the people. It was catching their hearts. It was catching their minds and engaging them. And as Jesus is walking along teaching, he notices a couple of fishing boats uh, on the shore. And so to, to get away perhaps from the, or to get some relief is a better way of saying it, from a pretty enthusiastic crowds, he gets into Peter's boats. Now, I, I don't want you to think for a moment that this was some random coincidence that of all the boats on the shore, he just happened to pick Peter's boats. Uh, this is the, the providence of God's. This is God's purposeful activities in His creation as He directs actions and events to fulfill His purposes. And I can say that because what we see happen now in this passage is that Peter starts to take a more prominent role. Remember last week, Jesus went to Peter's house, but now this week, Jesus is going to have a conversation with Peter, and Jesus is going to actually commission Peter. The focus is on Peter. It's almost like Peter was the first disciple chosen, even though there were other disciples with him, i.e. James and John. Peter begins to kind of get pushed to the forefront a little bit when it comes to the disciples. And we know Peter, because we know the rest of the story, right? Peter becomes uh, the, the leader of the disciples. He's the representative of the disciples, Jesus is going to tell Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And so it's no mistake that Jesus steps foot into Peter's boats. And he asks Peter, can you just push us offshore just a little bit, but not too far, close enough so that I can still teach the people and they can hear me. That's the setting for what's going to happen next, this great catch, this confession that Peter is going to make, and then this commissioning that Jesus gives him and the other disciples. And so as we move through verses 4 through 11, what I want you to be focusing on and paying attention to is the, the authority of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the knowledge of Jesus, the, the leadership of Jesus. You see all those things encapsulated in this one event. You also are going to notice the human condition as with Peter's confession, and then you're going to also hear this commission or this call to share in God's task. So let's look at verses 4 through 7. This, this is the miracle of the catch, right? If you grew up in church and you're older-ish, um, you'll, you'll remember flannel graph, right? I, I see it, right? I can see my teacher slapping them up on the boards, the felt board. But what we read here is that when Jesus finishes teaching, he turns to Peter and he says, 
put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, think about this for, for just a moment, right? As we read that, Jesus doesn't say, put out your nets and let's see what happens. Jesus doesn't say, hey, let's go out a little bit deeper, drop them down. You never know, you might catch something. That's not what Jesus says. He's guaranteeing success, right? Go out to the deep, put out your nets for a catch. You're going to catch fish. Now, Peter, the fisherman, answers Jesus the son of a carpenter. It's important. Now, Peter isn't snarky. Peter isn't rude or disrespectful. Peter doesn't say, okay, listen here, you're, you're a good teacher. I'm a good fisherman. I know my thing. You do your thing. You stay in your lane. I'll stay in my lane. You want to fish? Use my boat. Here's my nets. Knock yourself out. I'm going to go home and get some sleep. He doesn't say that. But he speaks to Jesus in a very respectful way because he addresses him as, as master. So Peter understands that there's an authority that Jesus has. He's heard the teaching. He was sitting in the boat for Pete's sake while Jesus was just teaching the crowds. He knows. He's seen the healings. But Jesus speaks, excuse me, Peter speaks first and foremost as, as a fisherman. Right? We, we toiled, he says, tells Jesus, all night and took nothing. Jesus, I, I was out here. There are other guys with me in the boat. We had other partners who were fishing with us. We worked ourselves to the bone last night. And by the way, night is the best time to fish. Uh, we worked ourselves to the fingers to the bone. Um, we are exhausted. We are frustrated. We are discouraged. We have not one fish to show for all of our efforts last night. It was a fishless night. We caught nothing. But then Peter speaks as a man of faith, a very, very simple faith, but a, but a man of, of faith. He says, but at your words, I will let down the nets. Despite Peter's professional view of the situation, he obeys the words of Jesus. And Peter gives the command to, to do what Jesus says, to go out to the deep and to drop the nets, which shows us, by the way, that Peter is in charge of this fishing group, which means he's a businessman, he's a business owner, and that'll be important here in a little bit. But because Jesus commands it, Peter does it. He obeys, e even though it doesn't make sense. Now, let's pause for a moment and just think about our lives and how sometimes when we read our Bibles, we read things that God calls us to do, and it just doesn't seem to make sense, right? Sometimes, 
right? We find ourselves in situations and having conversations and we feel that, that prompting by the Holy Spirit to, to, to maybe say something or do something or to help, even though it doesn't really make sense. It doesn't really fit our schedule sometimes. It's like, ah, what do I do here? But yet we feel like we need to do this. Have you had that? Have you experienced that? Even though it doesn't make any sense from our finite human perspective, we feel compelled. That's this right here. It's what happens to Peter. It makes no sense, but he, he obeys. It's the same thing for us. In those moments when it doesn't seem to make any sense, isn't that, isn't that when it just doesn't seem like it's the right time, it's not super convenient, it's going to lead to awkward conversations, we are called to be faithfully obedient to the Word of God and to the commands of God in our, in our lives, even when we don't understand, right? It's an act of what? Faith and trust in our, in our gods, Back to our text, verse, verse 6, we read, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Okay, so, so thanks to Jesus, right, because Peter had nothing to do with it except for he dropped the nets in where Jesus told him to drop them in, right? But thanks to Jesus, um, Peter and they, those in his boat, they, they, they hit the jackpot, right? I believe it's called a honey hole. Okay, um, if my son was here, I'd confirm that with him. Um, when you, you find, like ice fishing, especially when you get that one hole that just produces all these fish, that's the honey hole, apparently. They, they had it. Okay, to the point where, right, if you put yourself in this story and, and you're, you're a fisherman in the boat with Peter, if you're watching from the other boat, maybe you're watching this from on shore, right, you're taking note of this. Right, if you're a fisherman, if you like to fish, you're thinking, okay, okay, that boat is about 100 yards off of this rock and about 400 yards off of that rock. That's where we're going to fish. And they're going to remember that spot for the rest of their lives. They might not share it with other people, but they're going to remember that and they're going to always fish that spot because the catch was so great. It was so immediate. They just gathered this large group of fish and it, to the point where they almost lost the fish and they lost their equipment. Their nets were, were breaking. Their nets were straining under the weight of the fish. They're trying to hold on to the net with the last ounce of strength that they had. They've just worked all last night. They are tired. They are exhausted. And they're trying desperately to hold on to this net of fish. They can hear the ropes stretching in the nets. They're watching the ropes of the net start to fray and stretch and break under the weight of the fish. And so those in Peter's boat are signaling to the partners in the other boat to come over and to give them hands. Peter's calling out to his business partners, please come help us. Don't you see what's happening here? Okay, I'm going to guess that it was chaotic. I'm going to guess, because we have to read this like we're there, right, that Peter's not sitting there going, what a great catch of fish. Oh, come over, please. Lend a hand. Right? There's yelling and there's screaming. Right? The boat's tipping over. They're trying to wrestle this, this net of fish into their boats. The catch was large. 
The other boat shows up and they're, they're filling both boats with fish. And the boats are sinking because of the volume and the weight of the fish that are in the boats. Let's pause for a moment. Remember how sometimes we're, we're commanded to do things that don't make sense in our mind, but we're called to be obedient and faithful? Right? Let's, let's add a layer to that. And sometimes when we are obedient, the, the blessing that we receive is, is almost immediate. Right? We're faithful to what God calls us to do. We obey Him, and it just seems like, boom, the blessing is there. Like Peter. But yet there are other times when we're obedient and it seems like God didn't see us being obedient. That for whatever reason, He must have turned His back when we were obedient and He just didn't see it. And, and there, there's no immediate blessing to our obedience and to our faithfulness. I want to encourage you to, to trust in God's timing. He knows, He sees, He understands, and He knows what's best. And He knows that sometimes immediate blessing is necessary, but He knows that other times you need to wait. God's timing is perfect. You, you will receive blessing for being obedient. You, you read that in Scripture. But it will be in His timing, and that might mean it's not today, maybe it's a week from now. Maybe it's a month from now. Maybe it's years from now. Maybe you won't see it in your lifetime. But you will when you meet Jesus. You will. So one of the questions, back to our text kind of, one of the questions, I, I found this very fascinating as I was studying this this week and reading commentaries and articles and things like that, what I do, um, this question that kind of I, I just noticed come back up is the question was this. I, I find this hysterical. Um, did Jesus know that the fish were there, or did Jesus bring the fish there? Okay. Okay. Like, I guess right. And so, like, but the point is, and so my answer, like, I'm looking at, them, I'm like, well, well, yes. Like, I, I don't know. Like, why does that really matter in the grand scheme of things? It really doesn't, right? It's interesting, but it doesn't really matter because what is this about? What is this account about? What is Luke trying to communicate? What is God trying to communicate to us through Luke? That Jesus has what? He has power. That he has authority. That he has knowledge. Whether he knew the fish were there, whether he knew how to call the fish there, he could do it. He has the ability to guide and to lead fish and people. Like, okay, that's who our Jesus is, and that's what he does. And so we get back to our text in verses 8 through the first part of verse 10. This is Peter's, this is Peter's confession Again, you, you, you have to put yourself there in the midst of the chaos. You have to. Because it makes what Peter does here in verse 8 so astounding. Verse 8, but when, Peter, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, 
For I am a sinful man, O Lord. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, the yelling and the screaming and the grunting and the groaning, Peter has a moment of clarity. Peter recognizes that he's standing in the presence of a man named Jesus who's being used by God. That this, this man that he's standing in front of has an authority and a power that he's never seen before. And when he turns and looks at this man, Jesus, he almost sees the face of God when he looks at him. And, and this is important, Peter saw himself for who he truly was. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. In the midst of that chaotic scene, the light bulb goes on, it flickers, and, and, and all he can do is, is fall down in the presence of Jesus. Again, it's chaotic, right? There's yelling and screaming and grunting and groaning, all these other things happening as they're trying to drag these fish in. And Peter drops himself to his knees in front of Jesus in a boat full of flopping, slimy, smelly fish. In the midst of the chaos, he has a moment of clarity. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He, he asked Jesus to, to, to depart He's aware that he's standing in the presence of somebody unique and someone special who's being used by God. He's almost seeing the face of God in this man, and he realizes that we shouldn't be this close. He has a sense of unworthiness, and so he asks Jesus to, to leave. And the reason why he asked Jesus to leave is why? For I am a sinful man. It's not that he's calling out an individual sin in himself. It's just it's his character. It's who he is. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. I, we, we shouldn't be standing this close. Please, please, please leave. Peter is seeing a, a, a character in Jesus he's not seen before. There's a presence that's there. There's a power that's there. There's an authority that's there. There's a holiness and there's a purity that's there. And Peter's reaction is, I'm not worthy to be standing here. Please depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What's it make you think of? Isaiah 6. Let me read Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 5. This is the prophet Isaiah, and he has the vision of God, and he writes these words. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like Isaiah, Peter is completely undone in that moment. In the midst of the chaos, he has that moment of clarity. John Calvin, in his Institutes of Christian Religion, writes, writes this. Man never attains to a true knowledge of himself until he has contemplated the face of God and come down from such contemplation to look into himself. What Calvin is saying is that you need to recognize two things. A, the holiness of God, and B, your sinfulness and your fallenness. I want to encourage you. There's a... There's a I think it's a book. Um, it's called The Gospel-Centered Life. It's fantastic. And in that, it talks about our need to regularly ponder or meditate on or reflect, whatever word you want to use there, on both the holiness of God and the reality of our sin. You need both. And, and the danger is, as we do this, we have to be honest with ourselves because we, there's two things that we like to do. Number one, we like to perform. And what I mean by that is we like to think that we can attain God's standard of holiness on our own. And number two, we like to pretend that we're really not that bad. But if we have a proper perspective of the holiness of God and our understanding of that and growing in our understanding of that, if we are growing in our understanding of how sinful we are, then, then what that means is that the cross is going to loom larger and larger and larger in our lives. We need that clarity. The clarity that Peter had in that moment kneeling in the boats. The fact that he bowed down the fact that he saw himself as being unworthy, the fact that he would confess that he was a sinful person, the fact that he calls Jesus, O Lord, shows respect and shows that the light is beginning to flicker in Peter's mind about who this man just might be. He's astonished by the miracle. He's astonished by just being in his presence, and that's his first step in understanding who Jesus is, but it's his first step. All Peter really knows right now is this man, Jesus, is doing some pretty amazing things, and, and he's different, and he's unique, and I shouldn't really, we shouldn't really be here together. Peter will grow in his understanding. Now, he, we, we like Peter because he puts his foot in his mouth. We can identify Peter, but he will grow in his understanding of who Jesus is.
all of that in the midst of the chaos. Verses 9, verse 9 through the first part of verse 10 tells us, "For, For Peter and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with, with Simon. The, the catch was the reason why, what? They were amazed. They were astonished. Now, it's, it's actually, it's literally overwhelmingly astonished. So if you remember back to last week when Jesus cast out the demon in the synagogue and they were astonished... Right? It's a, this is a similar response that the disciples had, that Peter had, and James and John, right? and Andrew, by the way, because if you read Matthew and Mark's account, Andrew was there as well. Why? They were overwhelmingly astonished because of this catch of fish. And that catch starts the disciples thinking. Got Peter thinking. And it got the other disciples thinking too. It primed the pump for them. They were in awe of this, this man who was standing in Peter's boats. It's almost like they were being visited by gods. They're in awe of God's provision of fish. I mean, more fish than they knew what to do with. They're standing in awe of the authority and the power and the greatness of this man, Jesus. And then Luke moves to the last part of verse 10 to Jesus speaking to to Peter. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Jesus turns in the midst of the chaos and looks at Peter, a man of humility, a man of simple faith, and he offers him two statements of reassuring words, and then he calls him to service. Do not be afraid. Jesus knows the heart and the mind of Jesus knows what Peter's thinking. Jesus doesn't leave. Jesus doesn't say, I'm not leaving, you leave. Jesus doesn't scold Peter. Jesus doesn't call out sin in Peter, but he lovingly recognizes the humility of Peter, the trust that Peter had, the obedience that Peter showed, the the, the emotional state of Peter, and he provides these words of comfort, do not be afraid. It's okay. You and I here in the boat together, it's good. I'm not leaving. You don't have to leave. We can be here together. It's it's 
it's all right. It's almost like Jesus is, what, what's he doing? He's almost like drawing Peter, what, closer to him. That's grace. In the midst of the chaos and the confusion, Jesus is drawing him close. Like, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's okay. From now on, things are changed, Peter. From now on, from this point forward, <laughs> oh boy, it's different. You've had an encounter with me. You're beginning to understand who I am. You've got this simple faith. I can use it. There's a reason why I got in your boat. From now on, you will be catching men. Do you see what he says? And if you go back to the beginning part of this, and, Peter, and Jesus says, right, you let down your nets for a catch. Right, you see what Jesus says here? Um, from now on, you will be catching men. Jesus doesn't say... Um, Listen, don't be afraid, and would you consider perhaps joining me? Like, I, don't, I know you're a busy guy, you got a business, but would, could you have time to, 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 to work in and maybe hang out with me for a little bit and do some work with me? That's not what Jesus says. He says, listen, from now on, things have changed. Uh, you're, you're, you're catching men. Fishing for fish? Please. Fishing is no longer a way that you're going to make a living. It's not about earning money anymore, Peter. It's not about having a business, right? What you do, you've got business partners here. I see that. It's not about profit and loss and minimizing risk. It's not a business that deals with death, right? And that's important because when you fish and you catch fish, they've got two boats full of fish, right? Those fish are going to be what? Brought to market and killed and eaten, right? That's what's going to happen, that's not what's going to happen now. It's actually going to be about life. And the reason why is because of the word that Jesus uses for catching. Okay? It's different than the word that was used in verse 4 for catch and different than the word in verse 9 for catch. In verse 10, it means to capture alive. It means to gather. It means to, to, to rescue. It's a different kind of catching. Peter, people are not going to die and be destroyed when you catch them. They're going to live. They're going to have life. You're going to be winning them for the kingdom of God. It's going to be a new and vibrant life. And Jesus is going to tell the disciples what? That he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's going to tell his disciples that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. It's a different kind of catching. You're fishing, but it's completely different. You're, you're, it's not just that your job and your your livelihood has changed, Peter. Your whole life is changed. Because I chose your boat. And you understand who I am. And you have that simple faith and humility that I need and I can use. That God wants to use for his kingdom 
and for his glory and to accomplish his purposes. Jesus did and Jesus still does change lives. That's what he does. Jesus still asks sinful people like Peter to join him. He wants to use us. It's the beauty of the gospel that all of a sudden, because of the gospel, we're, we're saved, right? But all of a sudden, our, our lives have a, a different purpose and a different direction. We have things to do, right? You read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's homework. It's raining out. What are you going to do this afternoon, right? Read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Read it. Their lives are different. Your fishing is different now. And in verse 11, we read that when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Think about that for just a moment. Allow your imagination to run a little bit here. After they have struggled and labored to get their overloaded, sinking boats to shore, they left everything. I'm willing to guess that there were probably some in those two boats that as they're sitting there laboring and hauling up these nets and trying to figure out how they're going to get all these fish back to shore and is the boat actually going to make it or are we going to sink? That for some of those men sitting in that boat, they saw dollar signs. This is the cash crop of fish. The, like, this is legend. We are, we're set. But they leave that behind. They leave their equipment behind. They, they leave the only livelihood they know. This, this is family business. Their dad was a fisherman. Their grandfather was a fisherman. How many generations back did this go? And they're leaving that all, the reputation that came with that business. They didn't go back and cash out their equipment. They, did, they got to shore, and they just they left it, and they followed Jesus. They could have held on. They could have said, hey, listen, four o'clock outside the synagogue, I got some work to do in town first and go sell their fish, go sell their equipment. They just left it and followed him. And it got me thinking this, this week, like, okay, um, am I willing to leave everything to follow Jesus? Are you willing to leave everything to follow Jesus, even when it doesn't make a lick of sense sometimes, right? So maybe you're holding on to something that hinders you from following Him fully. If you are, it's called idolatry, 
and it's a sin. So I want to encourage you, if you are, confess it. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Jesus stands ready, willing, and able to give that forgiveness that you so desire. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. They could have held on, but they didn't. And, and you've got that piece, but to think about this piece, that Peter and the others were professional fishermen. That's what they did. And now all of a sudden, they're amateurs at best because they, they don't know a lick about catching men. But they trust Jesus. They're willing to leave it all behind to, to follow him. It wasn't just empty words for them. It was, it was action. So what's happened is discipleship has begun with those men. It's a shift in priority. It's no longer about fishing for fish. It's about following Jesus and catching men. Even, even at the height of what would have been I'm guessing their most successful catch, definitely their most memorable catch, their priorities have shifted and they follow Jesus. So you, so you think about your job, right? You think about your job for just a moment, whether you're a teacher, in the medical profession, landscaper, fisherman, IT, whatever it might be. In that job, you're to work right, heartily as, as to the Lord's. First and foremost, you are a disciple of Jesus called to follow Him. Right? That frames the way you do your work. It should frame the way you do your job. It should change the way you think about your job. You can even be in school. I hate to bring that up. It's summer break. But eventually, September's going to roll around. Sorry. Changes the way you interact with your, your classmates and your, your teachers, right? It just it changes the way. So I just want to encourage you to allow that being a disciple of Jesus to frame the way you live your life and the way you interact, the way you do your job. It matters. Because what these disciples are going to learn, right, is that following Jesus is going to involve struggle, it's going to involve labor, um, pain, discomfort, trial, suffering, Moments of chaos, like everything they just experienced in the past 24 hours fishing, it's going to be the same thing as they're fishing for men or catch as they're following Jesus. There's, a, there's an air of uncertainty, all of those things. 
But I'll tell you what, and they'll learn this, and as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, as we grow as disciples of Jesus, we learn, too, that there's not a better life to have than to follow Jesus. There's not. The struggle and the pain, the suffering, the trials, the chaos, the uncertainty, man, it is an absolute joyride, and it is a trip, and it is such an amazing, amazing adventure, and it's a lifetime of fulfillment because you're following Jesus. When you follow him, there's, your purposes are different. Your priorities have shifted. You have a new direction. There's a new call in your life. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I want to encourage you in that. Because this passage describes right the, the, the call of these men and, and, this, and this commissioning of these men. But it also shows Luke uses Peter, God uses Luke to use Peter to show us that to be a disciple means simple faith, trust, obedience, proper perspective on who he is and who we are. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So we think about this. There's a miracle, there's a confession, and then there's a commissioning, right? And so you see the sermon title, right, is, is Catch, Confession, Commission, right? That's because it was all C's. I thought it'd be easier to remember, but the, the, the miracle piece, so it, it could be like Catch, comma, Miracle of, of the, miracle of the catch, right? But there's no C word for miracle that I could find. I looked. What's, and so we look at our lives, right, for just a moment. What is the miracle in our lives? It's not boats sinking with fish. What is the miracle in our lives? For each and every one of us in here who might be listening online, who may listen to this later this week, what is the miracle? If you are in Christ, what is the miracle? Your salvation. Your salvation. That, that is the defining moment in your life, in my life. When we recognize, when God in His grace allowed us to recognize that we are spiritually poor, that we are separated and we are alienated from Him and we need rescue, we need salvation. And God moves in our, in our minds and in our hearts to believe and to understand and can confess our need. And He, in His grace, forgives us and He saves us. Our cold, dead, lifeless hearts of stone have life. That's the miracle. It's the miracle that we have. So what's, what's the confession? What's our, what's our confession our confession is our testimony. Our confession is what God has done and what He's continuing to do in our lives. So that I continually need the gospel each and every day of my life. I don't graduate from it. I need it. That's our, our confession. And what's our commission? We're to go and make disciples. 
of all nations. We're to be salt and light. See how they're all tied together? When we understand the miracle that's happened, when we understand that we need the gospel each and every day of our lives and we need people to be speaking it into our lives and that's our confession, our testimony, then that pushes us out to mission and we join Jesus. We're compelled to join Jesus in catching men and proclaiming the gospel because we've been moved and gripped and changed by Jesus and life is now difference. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, I thank you for the power and the beauty of the gospel. Lord, that in your grace and in your mercy, you have saved us. And as we grow in our understanding, as we recognize the holiness of who you are and the sinfulness of who we are, the cross looms larger. Our need for the gospel looms larger. And that is our testimony to one another and to the watching worlds. As by your grace, we go out and we make disciples, that we're salt and that we're light, that people would see that our priorities are different our sense of purpose is different, that our lives are different, and it's because of your Son, Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful followers of you, your children, and your disciples. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit twinvillageschurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.